Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi everyone and welcome to what I think is episode 6 of the Duncan and Duncan podcast. Apologies for uh, the absence over the last few weeks, but um, I'm sure you understand it was out of our hands, but we're up and running now. I'm joined as always by uh, my lovely co-host, the delightful Duncan Williams. Duncan, how are you doing? Very well, Duncan. How are you? Very well, thanks. And uh, we're also very glad to be joined as well by JJ Hanron. Uh, JJ, thanks for joining us, man. How have you been? Yeah, very good, lads. Uh, great to get on and get a chat with you. Hope you're keeping well. So, we'll, so we might as well just kick into starting um, by talking about what's going on at the moment. Um, how are you finding mm. the whole upheaval from being away from training, being away from playing and everything else? Um, yeah, it's been strange. Uh, strange. Like, this is the longest time I'd say I've ever had off. Um, but it's going to continue now as well. We've gone into eight, eight, nine weeks and then we go back into pre-season. So it's a strange time really. You're kind of trying to balance it with kind of trying to enjoy it a little bit but also you're kind of getting a bit you get a bit rattled every now and again as well because you're like these am I, am I getting unfit are we going to go back playing what's going to happen so it's just kind of that balance of trying to enjoy it every day and kind of a bit of relaxation but also keep fit at the same time you know like you all came in and divvied out the gear for the weights and stuff to each other didn't you um, yeah to get like the so a bit of a carry equipment so some lads got wap bikes some lads got roars um and then if we, we were it was grand for a while because we could run and we'd access pitches, but that's kind of slowing down now. So the the kind of carried equipment's coming in handy now, to be honest, because all pitches are pretty much closed now. It's hard to it's hard to get a get access to anything really. UL is completely shut down, like so. Yeah, UL is completely shut down. You can't. I think there's only I think one or two maybe injured lads can go in um, at a, and they have access to a pitch, and like they don't they, 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 there's no access to physios or anything like that. Okay. Um, so they, they and they're on a list. You will have a gate that have it have it closed off. So you're on a list. Um, other than that, that's when we can get in. Really, there's one park in Castle Troy, public park. There's a bit of a kind of an old soccer pitch there. That's what I'm kind of been using every now and again. To be honest, hmm. I don't really understand why, say, like publicly funded institutions aren't making their pitches available. Like it's not their fault. Like, but why they haven't been approached to make their playing fields available for public use for exercise. Uh, say just schools or GA, well, GA clubs or whatever. Sure, if it's that within two kilometers of people's home, yeah, but, 
Yeah, but for like say four people living within two kilometers, like there's plenty of people living within two kilometers of a pitch. But I know, but they all turned up. This like be too many people. It's like the car parks and all the the walking places around here. All the cops are stopping people going in there. Like yeah, but I don't think they'd be overrun. And I think if people had somewhere to go, like say I was I was up in the People's Park yesterday, and there's a heap of people just up there kind of exercising on grass because they live in the city and they don't have gardens and short of. Yeah. Running out the road, there's actually. Yeah, but you know, once once the weather gets good, like everyone's going to be out. It's, you can see it already. Like, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose. But I think I think it's um something that could be considered definitely. Like, I'd love to go up to like I, I live about eight hundred meters away from the Mary Eye pitches. I'd love to go up and I've got rehab running that I probably should be doing for my hip, but uh, I'm, I'm attempting quite poorly to run on the roads at the moment. Yeah. So I did a lap. I did a lap of the block there on uh, Monday night. I think it was the, the first time I've gone for an actual run since june of last year so uh i made how, how long is the block look it was nine minutes 40 seconds and that was more than enough i i did 1500 meters up uh the other day and i was exhausted i hadn't read for like six weeks yeah six weeks that was that, that was like 10 months 10, nine, know, 10 yeah. months for me we fitness testing last friday so <laughs> oh yeah how did that work uh, so basically, it was, it was fair enough. Like it just kind of give us a, it, it was all covered off. Essentially, you said like do your your one k time trial if you had a hundred meter axis. If you didn't do your uh, the shuttles, do the, the black hole test. And then if you didn't have that, do a watt bike or do a burpee test. So kind of just four four things to do really, and just like belt it out and just take a video of yourself doing it and just send it in. And that was it really. Yeah, it was great. How do they know if you've measured out the proper distance in the video? I'd say I don't really care to be honest. I'd say it's more just getting it done and just kind of like, okay. yeah, you could take it two or three meters if you wanted to, but it's you didn't seem surprised. You, you, you didn't seem surprised at that question, JJ. I'm worried. Were you? <laughs> nah, because straight away that's what we put in as well. Like, um, I, I had it on my watch though, so I have a proof. I one clamor uh, exactly on my watch, so worked out well for me, thankfully. It's funny, like I'd say the the levels of honesty would really become apparent uh, when everyone comes back in. Whenever that may be, I remember a few years ago. It was, uh, <laughs> I won't, I won't name the player now, but uh, we came back. So we used to have those tempo running sessions to do in the off-season where you'd be doing, like, they'd be kind of done by lengths of the pitch. So you'd have 200 metres, 150, 100, that kind of real horrible high-volume tempo running stuff, you know. Um, so you'd be going on the minute. So, you know, you'd do the 200 and the goal would be 40 seconds, the 150 and 30, the 120. And you'd have, say, three sets of that to do or three reps of that to do in a in a set. But um, I remember we were up in the bowl because it was around that time where, you know, it's the two weeks leading into the start of preseason when everyone's starting to filter back in and try and get themselves back into reasonable condition. Yeah, pretty much. There was a few of us up in the sports bar and we looked out and there was a player and he he was running at max. It could have been 65 meters he was doing as his lengths of the pitch. And he came back up and was like, what, what were you doing there? He said, oh, I was doing the session. He said, the session is 100 meter lengths, you know that. He said, oh, I asked the groundsman to measure out uh, 100 meters for me, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, the fellow's uh, professional to play rugby, like, he knows how long a rugby pitch is, or at least a ballpark figure for how long it is. Like, he's there plodding away, doing the 65 meter lengths instead of 100, so he's happy out. Yeah. It's the rest to get at the cork lads, and Archer was always a good man for the measurement now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I was ninety five, like a hundred ish, like you know what he was doing. Hundred ish. The old ten post there the, before we went back to preseason. And to be fair, to then he flew in one k. He was. was a British man for fitness, isn't he? Yeah, some nimble man. Yeah. I'm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. To be honest, I'm qu- 
quite glad that I'm not a professional athlete at this moment in time. Like, I know we can kind of laugh at it, but it must be pretty stressful, um, I would imagine, to be looking at this kind of length of time laid off and trying to keep yourself in shape. Like, as in, I was talking to a few people about this, and I reckon um, that a lot of people are going to struggle with breaking down with injuries when they go back in because just that's, uh, that lack of stimulus of being on the pitch, moving in all those different directions getting some sort of contact, even if it's not full contact, just on a regular basis, two, three, four times a week. Um, you, there's literally nothing you can do to replicate anything like that at the moment. So I would just be worried that a lot of guys will come back in. And I know What's obviously... What's the story there? Like, say, they decide that, right, games are going to happen. How long of a, like, a leading do you get? How long do you go back training before um, the game? In terms of confirmation, I don't think confirmed exactly, but there's been talks that... It, Whenever it is announced that we're going to come back, now as far as I'm aware, they want to try and finish the season, but that obviously is in in line with whatever the government um, release. But they will be potentially I think it's a four to six week preseason or a mini preseason okay. to try and get lads back in shape because there's been a lot of talk about that in the world rugby. We've been talking about it as well about player welfare coming yeah. back into like obviously when games are coming back in that they can't just go okay you're ready to go next week because there will be carnage injuries then overload issues issues and stuff like that so it'll take a while so um, even when uh, restrictions reduce um, it'll still be a long time before a game is played I'd say How will it work finishing the league? Do they play whatever finish the league and then how long off do you get before you start the next season? Just, just roll it Yeah I don't actually to be honest I don't really know I don't know I'd say whatever happens if we are playing over summer hopefully we would do end up playing um, again this season um, I think they'll have to because there's qualification for Europe and stuff um, I was wondering that as well like, is there like, so at the moment is it as it stands if they'd have three of each conference or what or yeah I, I don't know Like, imagine if you were in fourth position and you were two or three points behind someone you'd be pretty angry is there, is there the, the bigger teams kind of in fourth position there like you know that um, I don't even know what traditionally make it yeah, I don't know. Whatever yeah, I don't know. Know. You should surely know. Yeah, I think we're, what I know is that we're in second anyway, so that's where we need to be. Um, but even for us to try and say if it was to finish up the season, try and get a home semi-final, like we obviously won't get the opportunity if they decide to just go straight to the finals or whatever. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, we'll see how it goes and what happens. But I think if they do finish the season, it'll be a very short off-season in terms of a couple of weeks, like in, straight back into the beginning, I'd say. Yeah, that's what in France now I saw they came up with two proposals yesterday. So the first is kind of if... Uh, so I think the French restrictions are in place at the moment until the 14th of May. And they're kind of like, I think, optimistically thinking that if stuff with regard to sport lifts relatively quickly after that, they'll get stuck into the league again in June and go straight into the playoffs and then kind of play the, the final stages over July and then start back in uh, to the league at the normal time. But the contingency plan number two says if it's kicked off or if, if it's if sport is pushed back another bit they're talking about like coming back more or less at the end of july going straight into the final phases with basically finals being played in kind of early to mid-august but then starting the league again late august start of september and uh like you could imagine can you imagine going into a league like french a french season like that where you've got you've got 32 games minimum 32 competitive games minimum plus your pre-seasons and everything else and then if you're, or especially if you're coming out, if you if you do get promoted, I know they've obviously lost a lot of games now, but um, like the like there there's 16 teams in the second division of France, so you've got a lot of rugby um being played across the entire seasons. So to go from that straight into a top 14 season again is just gonna wreak havoc on uh, players' bodies. I think. Yeah, if they're yeah, trying to recruit, exactly. if you're getting promoted, trying to recruit, it's a, it's a tough time right now for anyone doing that kind uh, of thing. I saw Emmanuel Benden in his return because he says. 
because of this he can't get a club. Is that right? So yeah. was, he, was he let go? Was he? Was he? I think his player? contract was up, so he was looking to move on, or he wanted to play on. And there was rumors of going back to England, but because of obviously all the uncertainty of what's happening, he was kind of saying he looks like he's returning. Like, okay, right, yeah. so he's a contract up at the end or in say in June in Claremont, is it? Yeah, at the end of the season, like. Oh yeah, yeah. But there was a few lads in England were the same as well. I read a few articles over the last couple of weeks that were. They were kind of up in the air, but didn't know what, what was going on because obviously the contracts were up. So. And then Leinster, yeah. obviously Rob Kearney's is up at the end of this year. Leinster came out and said that they've pretty much got their squad sorted for next year. So I was like, are they telling them that there's nothing there or what? I don't know, but he was kind of saying he wanted to play on anyway. So mm. obviously I someone like him, then his career would have been around this time of year, got a chance to prove that he could still add something to Leinster, even though a lot of people have written him off. So it would have been... Uh, a tough one for him to take as well I'd imagine Absolutely. if that is the case obviously I don't know if he's not getting something or not yeah. obviously I, I, feel, I feel for young guys in particular who are kind of chasing chasing to find a contract at this time they might have been let go um, from wherever that may be either in Ireland or, yeah. Ireland or elsewhere and you're already up against it at that point um, if you're in a precarious position like that and you'd be very much kind of low down the priority list of um, uh, of clubs that are looking to recruit as well at the moment so um, fingers crossed most guys can Get sorted. Um, and if they're not left, yeah, not left in the lurch. Will, will they? Will will they like rugby in general? Will they go back to play the games behind closed doors, or will they only play them if crowds can attend? Like, I've no idea. That's like I was actually I was chatting to my neighbour about it today, and uh, he was asking me the same question. And like, I can't see. I don't know. If this is with social distancing and stuff like that. How we can allow big crowds together? So will they play? Will they play behind closed doors? I know NRL uh, rugby league in Australia did that for for one or two rounds. They did it. They did it. Um, they no about doing it in, in Las Vegas or something where they all stay in the same hotel or something, isn't it? Yeah, and then in uh, is it the Spanish league in um, basketball as well? Um, they're going to the Blairic Islands. So was that was that a beat there or somewhere like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, where the COVID cases are low and they're all going to stay in hotels there, just the teams only. And I think they're going to play just um, with no crowds, um, just on TV, um, just to finish out their league. So, yeah, <coughs> crazy stuff happening. Crushed as an out half. So obviously, you have have a level of skills that you need to ordinarily practice that are totally different to other people's. Like, So how, how does kicking or staying on top of your kicking uh, come into a situation like this? Is there a way that you can keep on top of it or um it was grand for a while like i said when we had access to pitches and stuff now that's dying down um i actually got pretty lucky so the the crowd that i do a lot of my kicking stuff with the school of kicking in the uk they have um they essentially a goalie net and um, they sit me over that it's like a pop-up net and they put it in the backyard and i don't don't keep it in my yard before it's pretty small now it's like a portrait stamp so it's just more like um it's more like technique stuff um just practice that which is which is great because you never miss. Um, so you feel great about yourself, but um, at least at least you can practice technique in a way um, and kind of stay on top of that and left and right leg and keep going that way. But in terms of like a normal weekly routine that you get through, very, very different. And um, BJ Bolt is actually good to us. He gave us a shadow ball. He gave all the Munster lads a shadow ball each. So we're just hopping him off the walls. Uh, I'd say my neighbours are going mad here in this tote every couple of days. <laughs> I think they're a great thing. If, I, if they were when I was younger, I would have loved that. Oh, imagine you're a kid. Yeah, you'd be absolutely delighted. Um, like When I was growing up, I used to spin the ball up in the air to myself. Imagine if you could actually get it back. I was you pass it off the wall, sure, but bounce away from it in for about 10 minutes. Like It was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to explain what a shadow ball is, it's it's basically half a ball. So well, like it, it's cut in half and, and the bottom of it is flat. So the idea is you could just throw it off a wall it comes back to you 
they're quite handy little things, all right? Yeah. yeah I'm surprised they're not more like that. You don't see more kids with them actually around around the place. Yeah, well, it, I suppose it, it's kind of a thing. It does quite well. Um, like I think in terms of orders and that kind of thing, it's um, it's done quite well over the last couple of years. I know they were kind of actually struggling to uh, meet demand at one point, kind of when I was chatting to BJ a while back. So and stuff like mental reps, JJ, does that um, form a big part of your day or your preparation at the moment? Um, I'll be honest, it, it would when I'm in a normal weekly um, weekly routine. At the moment, now it's been very much as physical because um, we are still a good few weeks away from playing. And I suppose the way I'm trying to see is kind of keep myself mentally fresh because if we do go into that potential 15-month season, you don't want to be too exhausted either. So for me, it's very just physical reps at the moment with everything. And then kind of um, when I get back in, or getting close to the games, I get back into that mental side of it. And that's quite taxing as well. You know, it is quite heavy during the week. So um, I kind of... You've been like mentally necking battles of whiskey, Schlaff. <laughs> <laughs> and physically really, as well. That's the physical really, mental really, parts he's doing that, to it. It's like Dubai in my house. Weekends, it comes a day early. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never appreciated a bank holiday until I started working. Jesus. The old short and work week. Oh, that's living. Man, that's never experienced in playing, do we? Like, not a hope. It's every, week's, every week's the same. Um, yeah, bank holidays. I would actually, I'd, I'd quite pay to see the first few the first few sessions of, of handling drills when you all go back in because I know coming back from the off-season ordinarily it literally like just chucking bags of sand all over the place uh, for the first kind of week or so and everyone's trying to, trying to switch their coordination back on but uh, that wouldn't have been after anywhere near as long of a layoff as you're experiencing now i know yeah we have in fairness like larkin's given us kind of a skills challenge to do um it's quite hard actually it's like a two-minute challenge between a tennis ball and a rugby ball and um again just record yourself and send it in and um because we have like mini groups and the best um the best say person from each group they come together and whenever, whenever we get back we'll um compete i don't know for whatever prize i don't know what it'll be but um it's been pretty good but um i thought i was doing pretty well i got like two 240 and then I think Shane Daly got like 215 or something so it blew everything out of the water so we've been kept going with little challenges and stuff to try and keep our skills up but at the same time you can't beat actually playing rugby you know it's very very different and is there like is there is there kind of communication particularly with you as an out half kind of between you and the coaching staff with regard to even just keeping sharp with regard to tactics and planning that kind of thing or are you, is it kind of a bit unrealistic to expect that that kind of thing goes on at this moment in time um, yeah I suppose just so far away you know you don't even know what you're prepping for you're kind of and there's nothing on that you could be watching like to take tips no we don't even know where our next game's going to be so we can't even analyse that um, or you know so you can you can preempt a few things and I know the coaches are watching a few games and they're trying to um, say finalise a, a certain type of way we want to play come into good weather and stuff like that and they're definitely talking about that kind of thing but in terms of like what we're analysing and stuff there'll be nothing going on at, at, at the moment I used to love training this time of year now. The weather getting good, out in the sun training. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. This time of year, everyone's doing extras after training. Oh, <laughs> yeah. don't be doing too well. <laughs> from from like December there. till end of February, there's not a sinner out there doing it. Like just the kickers and the ad fellas doing one or two things. Any bit of sun, everyone's like, out there. So, Cross, yeah. just to rewind a little bit, um, you're from Kerry, obviously. No, you're from kind of a particular rugby stronghold in Kerry, uh, Coro, which a lot of Munster fans would be familiar with, but has produced... Um, a significant number of very successful rugby players over the year, particularly for a place its size. But overall, Kerry isn't um, wouldn't be considered a rugby stronghold with Gaelic football obviously being um, uh, more or less a religion down there. Uh, so, how was it that you came to be involved in rugby first of all, and how was it that rugby was what appealed to you more so than Gaelic football, for example? Yeah, um, 
football definitely was my first sport. Um, I was definitely playing that um, from the age of five and six, playing that first and for a couple of years. But then uh, it was actually my next door neighbour, um, the Collinses, Dave Collins, uh, say it would be Nora Collins' son. They, like I used to go up to their house after school, they used to mind me and stuff um, before my mom and dad come home from work. And um, he was man to rugby. He was about 16, maybe 15 at the time. And I was probably about uh, maybe eight or whatever. And he used to pretty much use me as his tackling practice. And uh, that's how it all kind of started out. And I was like, and he, he used to always kind of say to me, that I was pretty good at rugby, at, even at a young age. So he's like, you should give it a go. So I went in and I was pretty young, I'd say about maybe seven or eight and kind of got it stuck into that age. I, my mother gave me a scrum cap, shoulder pads, the whole lot going in and gum shield. So I was actually put a, I was actually put a prop, number one. When I first started, I was playing prop for the first couple of weeks. And then um, I slowly worked my way out of there, thankfully. And then, uh, I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with it straight away. It was... Um, I remember the time that I knew I was more rugby player than a footballer. It was um, I think I was playing, I was playing football for the school after coming after rugby season, and a fellow was coming on the touchline, stolen the ball, and it just came out and just for once I actually tackled a fella and low as well. And uh, I was kind of totally forgot. I was like, oh god, what am I after doing here? Like <laughs> tackling him straight in the middle of a game, and I was uh, I was like, sorry, sorry about that. And then um, so it's kind of like, yeah, football's not going to work out too much today here. <laughs> <laughs> and what age did you keep playing football until? Uh, 16s, yeah, I played for like North Carolina 16 and stuff and went down to a few minor trials, but um, it was kind of at a time where I was, um, I would just went to Rockwell at that time and um, it was kind of difficult and I kind of had to make a decision and my dad was kind of pushed me to kind of make a decision as well. He kind of said, look, you can't be keeping, like I just, when I was younger, I would have played an awful lot of sport, like we're doing out every night of the week doing something different. So he was very keen and kind of like um, when I came to put 16, kind of like narrowing down the focus and uh so then around 16, I was in Rockwell full-time. It was too difficult coming down and stuff for um, for training and things like that. So I kind of just focused fully on rugby then. And I kind of just took off from there, really, at about 16, yeah. And kind of at what point, like, you, you came to Rockwell in... Did you do transition year in Rockwell or did you go straight into fifth year? Straight into fifth year, yeah. Straight into fifth year, yeah. But you were, I remember you you were straight into the starting side anyway, the senior cup team. I remember playing against you. I remember you running running right against us. Um, I can't remember what... Yeah, I can't remember what round of the competition it was, but uh, I actually remember, I remember, because you were underage for Bone Shield that year as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I played Bone Shield that year as well. I think we got to the final or semi-final, we lost and it was disappointed enough. Yeah, because I remember, I remember us reading and we were like, oh, this, this fella that was playing Bone Shield, like he's obviously a young fella, pure scrawny, like and raw, and he'd be, he'd be pure, like lacking in confidence and everything else. So we trotted out. That like her gosh being there. <laughs> we're like, oh, we're yeah. just, Where's the 16-year-old? Uh, Crush looked like the oldest fellow on the team. Oh. <laughs> the <hairline> already. <laughs> I'm lucky. That's old, very young, you see. I haven't changed since. It's been grand. <laughs> That's what I tell people in there. How did you find going into Rockwell? Did you know many people going in there? Was it kind of... Um, i tell you. Uh, so, Tom McCahey, you probably you probably know him, Dunk. You probably both know him. He, he asked me to come or whatever. And I was kind of... I was real hesitant about it. Um, being as you call me, a mugshot from Kerry, Dunk. Um, I didn't really know anything about private schools and stuff like that. And I wasn't even aware of school rugby. That's totally honest. I wasn't even aware of it. And um, I was straight away, I was like, I don't think I'll fit in up there. Like, that's not for me whatever. I'll be grand. I'll go to, I'll go to club route and I'll be fine. And, um, but I was going to kind of a Munster Youth kind of skills thing above in Gary Owen. And uh, the, the schools are there as well. And there was a good few of the Rockwell lads there. And um, Tom introduced me to all Rockwell, as in Paddy Butler and a few more, Gav Ryan, Brian Smith. And um, I kind of just, I got on really well with him that day. And I was like, look, they're actually grand fellas. <laughs> so that was kind of the, the changing point, really. Um, and I kind of knew a few lads from that kind of monster kind of scene. 
um, before I went in there in front of the rub- in, as the rugby lads anyway. Um, so that did help in fairness. Um, it was it was a good help going in there. Did you find it a big step up when you moved into schools? Yeah, oh man, I hadn't a clue what I was doing. Honestly, no. I remember we had these um, sort the of Crusaders drill where you like go over and back yeah. the field, but then like he put two defenders in the middle of it, one of the coaches, and I was like, "What's going on here?" Like I'd never, 16 years of age, I'd basically just catch the ball like in Castle Island, and uh, we had a couple of good players outside me, so I'd give it to them or just do my own thing. You know what I mean? And uh, slowly but surely, I heard about game management and uh, figuring out how to balance the game and stuff. And uh, so it took me a while settling, to be fair. But um, just the amount of rugby we had exposure to, like three or four times a week we were training. Uh, Mark Butler was my coach, who's involved at Munster now. Tom Mulcahy was there as well. So really good coaches as well um, at the time. And they just kind of, they really nourished me, to be honest, to get through. But um, when I first got in, I'm pretty sure I came off the pitch one of the days pretty much in tears because I was like, I'm so bad at rugby. I don't even know what's going on. Um, <laughs> <of> course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it took a while to settle in in terms of rugby, but I got I picked it up pretty quick, thankfully. It's good to hear that the lads, like the, the coaches there, like make a bit of effort to make you feel welcome and stuff, you know, obviously coming in from Kerry and stuff, you know, even at that thing introduced, obviously they just wanted you to, to come to the to the school anyway because of what you could offer them, but like the fact he went away, got all the lads introduced themselves to you and yeah. sweeten the deal, I suppose. Yeah, well, yeah. He's, he's, he's been a real like pivotal figure in a lot of lads' careers really, hasn't he? Um, like a, a kind of guys who came through the club system, but guys who came through just the school system as well, he's just a, uh, just a brilliant kind of man manager. I think he really manages to get the best out of people. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's Tom's biggest asset is um, just like the kind of one on one side of things, and uh, I suppose getting you in the right uh, frame of mind and getting the best out of you. Really, like he just kind of a fellow that kind of just instills you with an unbelievable amount of confidence. Um, even today, like you know, even if you're feeling a bit down yourself after a game, you give Tom a ring and you you walking in a cloud nine after it. So. It's uh, still the same thing today. You know what I mean? You just feel as well as an unbelievable amount of confidence. But so I think like myself, uh, Paddy Butler, he had a good, a good impact on Paddy. Uh, Dave Foley, Tommy Donnell. Um, he's involved with all them lads, you know, coming through. So there's been, um, been a good few fellas who've been involved yeah, in that, the That's what you need, though, at that kind of age. Like, it's the fellas who just kind of make you enjoy your rugby as opposed to, like, like you know, you get so bogged down in things when you don't play well and stuff. You kind of, when you become fresher, but when you're younger, like, you know, you've kind of, you play it for fun. It's, what you love to do, you play it because all your friends played it and you want to like win things with them and stuff. And it just you get so diluted, and people forget about it. Like when obviously pressure situations, pressure rugby is like, but it's just I just love yeah. playing in school and just even looking back at now, it's like my younger days was like my favorite time to play rugby, like because it's yeah. just such great fun. You're playing with all your school friends, fellas, you've known for years, you're going out winning matches with them, and just uh, I thought it was a great, great, great thing. Yeah, no, I 100% agree, and I, I've definitely fallen into that trap as well, Dunk, where you uh, you put so much pressure on yourself, you think that it's 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 now or never, and the game of rugby is not the game that you started playing for because you love the growing up as a kid. It's a totally different thing you're playing for, and then it's not you don't you're not getting the best out of yourself. You know, what I mean, that's right from found anyway, and uh, quite trying to go back to that kind of playing your natural instinct with all the skills you developed throughout the years. Probably the way I found it has helped me the best to develop, whereas when you go into that cycle of where you're just putting unbelievable pressure on yourself it's it's like I've been there it's like it's it's horrible enough place to That's be right. I, I was also jealous of Eve like he, he never lost that like he always just it was still like he was in school playing for, for the fun of it like it was it was unbelievable to be fair to me I was in a smileless face no he was shit hot as well which helped like but it was uh, I think yeah. that contributed in the way he was so good in, in such big big occasions that he was just Joe played with a smile on his face, didn't let things get him down. He just, he just enjoyed every minute of it. 
But yeah, he was unbelievable for that, and he still is. You know, what I mean, he, that's he's a buzzer. Like he lives his life like that. You know, and uh, I think that all that stuff comes from like a, an unbelievable, an unbelievable amount of internal self confidence as well. Like Zeebs is kind of just, no matter what the occasion is, like he completely backs himself no matter what. And I think uh, yeah, we could all do it a bit of that to be honest. Yeah. So like you 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 broke on very quickly after school as well, Chris. Like I think you you were on your sixth year holiday and you arrived into preseason training kind of obviously a, a couple of weeks later because you just just done the leave insert or whatever. Remember you just you breaking the line three or four times in the first ten minutes of the drill. And everyone going, oh, Jesus, who's this? But oh, yeah. like you, you you kind of progressed through the ranks very quickly. You obviously had that outstanding Junior World Cup campaign where you were nominated for Junior World Player of the Year. Then you kind of broke on with Munster very shortly after that. So how did you find kind of being that young guy who there was a lot of hype about and who everyone's talking about as the next big thing? Did it get into your head? Was it was it ever difficult to deal with? Or did you just take it all in your stride, do you think? Um, no, at the time, I, I actually, I, I wasn't, I was aware of it. Like I was aware of people talking and I knew like the people were saying, oh, you're, you're, it's a good opportunity if you're going going well here, things like that. But I was kind of like like probably taking on my stride at the time. I actually found it harder, say like when I was got about twenty one, twenty two, when I kind of like in my head like I hadn't lived up to my the hype myself. You know what I mean? But like it was fine from eighteen to like twenty one, twenty two. But then like after that, I was like, well, I'm actually still not starting. I'm still not the person people are saying I'm potentially going to be or whatever. And um, but I was probably mentally away off it. You know what I mean? Um. In terms of what it takes to become a weekly starter and the amount of work you have to do off the field, the mental side of the game, um, we're still a still. I probably don't know if I've changed much now, but it's a small, fat, chubby kid that relied on my talent. You know what I mean? And uh, I've called a spade a spade. And uh, I remember Paul O'Connell said to me a couple of years back. Um, I was probably about twenty-one. He said, "Like, are you ready to play twenty-one games in a row?" I was like, "Yeah, pretty sure I'm ready to play twenty-one games in a row." You know, like young and brash and. Uh, I think when I was in Northampton, I played 10 in a row and I was absolutely mentally and physically broke after playing 10. And he's like talking about playing 21. And so like you've, um, it kind of gives you an understanding of what it takes to go into, if you want to be that top professional and play week in, week out and, and uh, always turn up, it, it takes an awful lot mentally and physically, you know what I mean? So um, is, that, is that half the, or is that not half, but is that pretty much the reason why you looked at moving to, to Northampton to become first choice starting 10 week in week out I know you played a bit of 12 over there as well but was that the main goal yeah, going over there to go over and play 10 and just be an out and out 10 that was definitely the goal yeah 100% to be an out and out 10 because I was playing even when I was at Munster at the time I was playing a bit of 10 I was playing I think I played a lot of 12 playing a bit of fullback as well and I felt like I was just getting a bit I suppose I was impatient I felt like I was kind of losing my way a bit I was kind of adamant I'm a 10 I'll, I'll get where I need to be um, so kind of if, if I had maybe Looking back and a bit more patience, it might have helped as well. But I, I, I wouldn't change any of my decisions. You know what I mean? I went over there, learned an awful lot about myself, learned an awful lot about um, rugby in general. Oh, he's dunk. I'm not breastfeeding in case you wonder. Yeah, so it was just it was good experience overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. It's, I suppose a lot of people were kind of shocked when you did decide to leave. But to be fair, to you backed yourself and. You went. You always you were young enough to come back at some point as well. So it wasn't like you were. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I had that on my side. Now I was very aware, and a few people. Me. Congratulations! Yeah, first and foremost, you might um you might introduce the new arrival to. Oh yeah, this is this is a little Mia. I think she has a after developing a bit of colic, so she's not a, not very good in the evenings. If I set her up right, she might be too bad. But there now, say not the lads. She refuses to keep the dummy in. She's like your dad, spit the dummy. Out. <laughs> I think they're going to, uh, 
Okay. We could yeah. be alright. Yeah, she's at Zitland though. Yeah. How? Are you, sorry. Where? Where? What were you? What were you on about? Just talking about moving over to be um moving over to be uh, an out no ten or to cement yourself as a ten. Yeah, just trying to get as much game time as I could in that position. You know what I mean? Because I hadn't played an awful lot rugby at ten in Munster before I left, and um, it was more so about just trying to get as much exposure to to rugby at the top flight. And that was my main that was my main focus really, and uh, just challenge myself. And um, at the time, in Northampton were going unbelievably well as well. They, I think they'd won, won the Premiership, got the Premiership final. And then uh, I often joke, lads, I turned up in the, the, the catalyst for the downturn. <laughs> Just there, how did, you, how did it go down when you were, obviously, you played a good bit of 12 there. How did that kind of sit with you? Were you like, oh, here we go again now? Um, kind of not, you not, not taking one position in particular and kind of jump between two. Yeah, so I, I, the first season I was there, I was... Um, Played a good bit of 10 that year and came off the bench quite a bit of 10 as well um, between myself and Myler. And then the second year, I broke my leg in pre-season against Ulster, actually. So I missed the start of the season. And then the week I was due back playing, Harry Mallander was playing 12, and then he got injured. He did his ankle. So then there was no 12 available. And I was coming, I was coming, I was coming back the next week. So they put me straight into 12. And then um, I saw so that's when I went into that 10 game straight then at 12. And um, so myself and Stephen were playing 10 12, and they kind of wanted to play a different style of rugby, so it kind of suited what we're trying to do at the time as well. Um, kind of two ball players 10 12, and we'd lose the Brella 13 or George PC, so it worked out well. Um, but then, um, literally 10 games in, I uh, played in Montpellier away, and I broke my thumb. So, I was watching that then, game, actually. Was, yeah, we yeah. were watching that number. Yeah, so that's the, that explains what happened to Nandolo in that game. I broke I mean, he's highlights really. Uh, people like my mates from home keep sending it to me. And never get ahead of yourself with your mates from home. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, I remember being one of the Georgian lads um, in France who who couldn't speak any English, coming re- coming over to me really excitedly one morning, and then uh, bringing me over to his gear bag. He took out his phone. It was a bloopers video at that time. I. Uh, Threw the, threw the ball off back of Paulie's elbow over in Paris. Like his head. No, it was his elbow. It was his elbow. No, we'll, we'll, make sure, we'll ask his opinion. Yeah, make sure he has a very solid opinion on that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, what, what was it like? What was it like going over at that age, Crush? Because you were still very young at that point. Like I think we lose track because because you always looked um, kind of 30 or older. We kind of lose, <laughs> lose sight of the fact that you were actually very young around that time. What, were, what age were you when you left? Uh, I was 22. I turned up in preseason at 22 Jeez. over there. Um, so I uh, moved in with moved into a house with uh, uh, three lads, and uh, they were kind of looking at me, going like, "What are you going to bring to the club?" You know what I mean? I was like, I'm, "I'm hoping to be taught." You know what I mean? I think that was the biggest mistake I I probably made going over was, I think they were, I think they were looking for the finished article in terms of like they wanted me to just go in, perform, and execute straight away. And I was kind of at the mindset of like, "Oh, they're going to teach me along the way," and. Um, so you think that'd be pretty straightforward? That'd be sound out before we went, but um, it was kind of I suppose that kind of lack of communication or maybe a miscommunication that happened, and um, I probably I, I didn't re- I took me a while to settle in. You know what I mean? Even um, just settling into the clo- into a new country, um, like being away from all your friends, stuff like that, um, trying to get comfortable around the squad because I don't know, like I just kind of you figure out like I, I'm not unbelievably loud person in the dress room so when I'm comfortable around lands I chat away but like I, I'm quite shy around people I don't know so it took me a while to kind of get to know lads um, very well in the group and I think that definitely affects the way you kind of play and interact with lads in the field as well you're not that close to them so once I kind of settled in that way with that it was probably maybe after four or five months I probably before I really felt comfortable within the group really um, 
that that uh that was good in fairness but i remember like one of my first meetings and um, when i got my first cap to do this thing where you, you present you a tweed jacket and um you already had your own richer from your own fashion sense like <laughs> oh yeah exactly and um so they gave me the tweed jacket and then the one lads they're like oh what? i was like what do i have to do and they're like oh everyone sings you have to sing and i was forced up of course so i sung an irish song and they were roaring laughing no one ever sings everyone just doesn't know a little speech or whatever and i was up there at the top of the room belting out irish songs in front of a lot of english lads they're probably looking at me going like what is this for that like um but that kind of broke the ice to fairness for the best thing that could happen yeah i think like and it's only something that i got an appreciation for when i went away myself but and it, and it kind of nearly nearly made me feel bad about uh the foreign lads that had come to munster previously not that not that we weren't inclusive of them or anything else but like it's it is such a shock to the system to leave. And I mean, I was I was twenty seven when I left, and you you were twenty two, uh, and and like I I found it an incredibly hard adjustment. And I think that's overlooked is the focus is always on integrating people into the rugby system, but really that can't come until the person is comfortable in their environment. And that's not just not, that's not just within the club off the field, but it's outside of the club as well. You know, someone's going home and kind of staring at the four walls of their apartment or their house and. Uh, they're living in the middle of nowhere or they don't know anyone around and they're just they're just totally away from all the good habits that they would have had at home it's impossible to expect them to slot into um well into the rugby side of things once they actually get into the club had they, had they someone particular in the club that that is in charge of doing that for for new yeah so paul, so paul shields now who's the manager's time he's uh he's, he's from ulster paul, paul shields now, so like he's over there for a long time um so he he would have like even when i went out with when before i got over there he would have had a map printed out for me with like a couple of hot spots where lads live he had two houses ready for me to go one of them was an apartment with someone else one of them was my own house and sorry three houses and the third house was um the farmhouse i ended up living in with uh lads like probably 10 minutes aside northampton and um so like i had all that stuff laid out ready to go and going over there which was a massive help and um someone clicked me the kit man clicked me from the airport when i turned up and uh drove me to the house and then um they had a club car for me for a couple of days but um then they, they actually had to take that car back so i had no car for a while so i was bumming lifts for a while and then um there's actually dylan hartley sorting me out he he was sponsored by a group called vindus and um he got one of their uh, workers to come and collect me and bring me down to a car garage and uh sorted me out with kind of a deal getting a car over there so he was kind of the first probably fella as captain of the club as well who stepped up straight away and was just like here you go like what can i do for you and uh he was unbelievably sound in fairness that's good to hear um, when it came to deciding to come back um obviously look you like you kind of ticked all the boxes in the way open that everything went according to plan um you know you were playing for your home province you broke in early you were involved in really big results and everything else but then obviously it, there, there came a point where it was in your interest to to head abroad to somewhere different in order to to kickstart your or, or to kick on your career. Um, so, like, was the plan always to come back, or at what point did it become uh, a genuine option for you? Um, I definitely wanted to come back a hundred percent because I I went away with the idea that I was young enough to, to go and learn, and and hopefully the opportunity if I kept progressing would be there to come home. Now it probably came a little bit sooner than I thought. Um, last actually got in contact with me probably about a year and a half in and um asked me to come home and um so that was probably it was perfect timing for me as well to be honest um i i probably my second year in northampton was very tough i had an awful lot of injuries uh three surgeries and stuff so i was probably in a probably a tough place away from home and all that stuff's happened as well so it was kind of a perfect timing and um it worked out well and i was kind of coming to the age around 25 26 i was like i need to start kicking on here now back at home in ireland if i want to try and push on a bit something else and um so that's kind of where that came about really um, Rassi kind of got on the phone and uh, thankfully it worked out. 
So was it Razzy himself actually rang you to come back, was it? Yeah, Razzy himself, yeah. It was um, I'd never met Razzy before, so never met a person that was so straight and direct down the phone in my life. Um, uh, so I was a little bit taken back by him. I was like, what do I say here? Um, but yeah, he was he was pretty good. Um, yeah, he was in contact with quite regularly, just um, different conversations. And with Jonesy as well, Felix had a big part playing as well. Um, so I was chatting to him quite a bit about the whole move as well. So no, it was good. It was a good move. What's that like coming back to your home team after being away for a couple of years? Uh, because it's in Munster, and I think in most of the Irish provinces, it doesn't happen too often where someone moves away and then ends up coming back, particularly if they move kind of to another country, they rarely end up coming back. Uh, so how did you find that? Was there kind of, I know people talk about re- repatriation actually being almost as problematic as when you immigrate the first time. And that obviously that's a massive shock to the system and the guys can be homesick and then they just have this completely inaccurate um an idealistic view or, or, or idyllic view of um, what life at home is like. So you expect it just to be brilliant as soon as you get back and then yeah. you come back and there's actually a huge, uh, there's a huge challenge to readjust into the pace of life back at home and, and things aren't exactly as they were when you left them, even though in your head that they still are. So how did you find that? Mm. Yeah, it was pretty accurate, man. To be honest, unbelievably accurate. So I came back as well with a bust of shoulder. So I was in the middle of rehab. And so I came back and I couldn't even train with the group. I was kind of in the physio room, rehabbing my shoulder after getting construction or reconstruction. So I was like, they were obviously out in the physio, out, out in the pitch, um, cracking on, kind of building camaraderie as you do in preseason. And I was there in the physio bed and kind of trying to catch glimpses of them in the, in the, in the change rooms where I could, you know. So I was kind of on my own for quite a bit, coming back into it straight away. And um, that was definitely a tough part. Now, I had good mates in the group as well. Uh, you were there and stuff. And there was lads I knew well from playing when I was younger. But I'll be honest with you, like, my kind of initial feeling was, like, I was, like, kind of one of, like, geez, I feel almost a little bit on the outskirts of the squad, even though I played for this club before, you know what I mean? So, I still probably even talk, I, I suppose, until I came back and played my first game, which was, when was that? It was probably maybe just around October. Uh, maybe November, October, I think I played in that Cardiff game. It was my first game back. It was like maybe five, six games into the league when I came back from my shoulder. It was kind of around that stage where I kind of felt like I was fitting back into the group again when I actually started playing. But um, the first first couple of months there, particularly rehabbing, was quite tough, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, um, it's an interesting thing because, as I said, not a lot of people have done it. And um, it, it, it kind of, it's something that nobody even really considers i think uh, like everyone's just like oh that that's jj but he's he's been here before he knows uh, how it all is already at this point like uh, yeah yeah no it makes difference <laughs> younger lads have come through lads that are playing obviously a lot more now and the kind of dynamics of the group have changed a couple of older fellas have gone and it was just uh, you're just kind of trying to figure out your loyal lines you know there's like a squad dynamic within a massive group and you're kind of uh we were all in Limerick then as well, wasn't it? Was that our first year? Yeah, and that was the first year in, and there was no travel anymore, and uh, it was just very, very different, man. It was, it was totally different, to be honest. Did you find it hard to impose yourself as as a ten again, coming coming back in, say the way you would have been before, or was it very much pick up where you left off a couple of years earlier? How do you mean by that? So import, like, as in, in the game plan? Yeah, in terms of game plan, or just kind of uh, as as a voice, as a tactical voice, or or as a leader in the in the group. Was, was it difficult coming yeah. back the time? Definitely, because I think like the lads were like a year down the line. I think he had Rassi and Jock for about a year at this stage. You need a good grasp on what they were trying to do and um, in terms of like uh, game plan and stuff like that. So, you know, when, when Rassi was there, he's such a he's such a strong voice, you know what I mean? That there wasn't a whole lot of kind of, I suppose, imposing yourself you have to do. He was kind of the most imposing figure in the room and he kind of did that all the time. Um, so I suppose... Was it, was, it, probably, was, it, was, it, was it like that in Northampton as well or...? 
Yeah, I suppose Dylan Hartley was probably the most important figure there. Like, it was pretty much like Dylan was the main man in terms of what he said. Um, kind of went, you know what I mean? And uh, well, and, and Jim as well. Jim Allender had a big had a big say as well. In fairness, them two them two lads pretty much ran the show there. You know what I mean? Um, very approachable. The two lads over the. Yeah, yeah, Jim, Jim, and Dylan was. Yeah, they were they were very very approachable. Now, in fairness, um, yeah, they were good. Um, but I, I, in terms of like with Rassi and how I was dealing with him, like I probably just had never seen anyone operate the way he was operating at the time. You know what I mean? So I was kind of just like, I was kind of just almost sit back here. You know, I suppose that was probably a mistake I made was um, not probably imposing myself enough on the group and probably didn't have enough of that confidence to kind of uh, start leading from the front straight away. And that probably came back to bite me a little bit in that first year. You know what I mean? You mentioned about. Getting to a point where you're putting too much pressure on yourself and how that affects your overall approach, not just the game, but I think to, to outside the game as well. What kind of journey have you been on with regard to that? You said you're kind of you're more relaxed now than you maybe would have been a couple of years previously. Um, how have you found that progression, or, or is that just something that sorts itself out, or is it something you've had to work on um, specifically? Uh, definitely had to work on it man uh like really 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 had to work on it for me as an individual anyway uh it was pretty simple don't be honest hit rock bottom when i got dropped for that european quarterfinal last year um it was probably like the i have i've been not picked for monster games before but that was probably my first time where i felt like i was like really dropped you know what i mean like it was a big game and i wasn't selected like i've always kind of been in a position where i'm like on the bench or maybe starting you know what i mean whereas this time i was like okay i'm completely out of the squad i'm not even i'm not even within an arse's roar the place, you know what I mean? So that was kind of like rock bottom for me. And um, and I was kind of going into that game thinking it might be my 100th game. And then I was like, I need to, essentially I, was, I wasn't playing the way I knew I could. I, was, I remember that Zebra game I played the week before, I'm pretty much pretty sure I played the worst game of rugby I've ever played in my life in that game. Um, I remember I was like, kicking balls into fellas' legs and stuff, and I was like, "What am I doing?" And I was I was five minutes off from the try line. I tried to grubber a ball through, and I was like, "I was coming <laughs> off the field." I was coming off the field, going like, "That is quite simply the worst game of rugby I've even watched someone play." Not a mind actually be the person that's done it. Um, <laughs> so uh, to play that kind of game of rugby at that level, you're kind of going, oh "My God!" Um, so I had a good sit down with the missus after that, and a good chat through things about. And um, in fairness, James Cronin brought me for a coffee as well, and just. Um, it's kind of said like he's like you're just not playing the way you play rugby anymore. You're not playing as yourself, and um, and I would have had regular contact with Bomber as well around the mental side of the game. So kind of from that point on, just kind of went back to where I spoke with Dunk earlier on the podcast about kind of just kind of going back to what your instinct is and playing with enjoyment and stuff, and going back and trying to remember why you started playing rugby, and then throughout the years of all the experience you gained, that will automatically come into the game. You know what I mean? Rather than trying to force it and think about it and oh should I kick this or what should I do in this scenario. Just play, and then inevitably, you, not eight times out of ten, seven times out of ten, you get the decision making right because you're getting more into flow as opposed to thinking. You know, yeah, but I think particularly a guy like you because your like your strength was always playing off the cuff, like right from like right back in school, it was just it was almost that second nature kind of way of attacking the line or stepping off your like stepping off your outside foot, paw into the chest kind of thing. Um, so. Like hey, there was, there was kind of never any doubt that there was there was massive ability there. But it's just interesting to see how kind of the mentality of things can can dictate how you go out in the field and and approach stuff. But you've obviously yeah. you're, you're coming off the back, or well, maybe the season isn't um, done and dusted yet. But you're you're kind of in the middle of, we'll say, um, uh, a hugely positive season for you. Has how important has that been to have that really good, like long, consistent run of really good performances this season? 
Uh, massive, yeah. Like, just more for a personal point of view, um, just to know that, like, yeah, you can actually still do something here, you know what I mean? Because it's been a long time coming for myself as an individual, and I mind for everyone else that supports me, um, to try and put that run of games together and uh, try and play at some bit of a decent level. There's been a few hiccups along the way as well, but uh, I suppose the situation we're in, um, maybe fortunate for me and unfortunate for others, um, is that uh, there's been not many other people around to play uh, at number 10 this year. So I've had a good bit of opportunity to keep um, kind of brightening your wrongs and maiden games and stuff and get that chance. I know it's a, it right. that's half the battle. If like fellas get injured and you're fit, that's it. That's your chance to get like 10, 11, 12 games in a row on the bounce. Like, and that's like, if anyone gets that many games in a row, you'd, you'd be surprised what they can do. Like it's hard yeah. you're in, in one game, out another game, in the next game, or you're on for 20 minutes, row for next week, you're on for 40 minutes or 50 minutes. It's impossible to get any of the consistency. You need like seven, eight games. People think, oh, he's played two or three games now in a bounce and he hasn't played unbelievably well. But it's like, it's, you're still getting your match fitness at that point. It's just, I think it's, it's it plays a massive, massive role in, um, people maximising their potential is that getting that run of games and it's not like four or five it needs to be like eight, nine, ten games yeah, yeah. I, I agree I agree and it's to kind of get confidence as well and, you, and then you go through like every game is a different game there's some games are loose some games are really tight you have to manage them and once you go through like kind of eight, ten games you've pretty much you've gone through a lot of different types of games as well and um, you might have to close out a game you might have to try and win something like the death yeah. like when you, as in our position, dunk like nines and tens, when you haven't been in that scenario regularly enough, it makes it very, very difficult. But all of a sudden, you get 10, 12 games, and you've done it in your uh, three games ago. I remember this scenario because I was, we had to, 60 minutes in, we were two points ahead, and we had to do this, or you know what I mean? And then yeah, it yeah. just kind of rings a bell. Whereas it if you're not a pilot as opposed to having to think about it, like it's just. Yeah, exactly. And then performance start happening, and people go, oh, that fella can play. You know what I mean? And it just takes, <laughs> but it's like. It's, it's, after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, that's been a good season I just, hopefully it goes back on and we can get back on to playing again you know what I mean yeah no I just think that was as a, the injuries was as I said my best season always came when there were so many injuries that I played I nearly had to play every single game of the season so it just gave me that chance to get that level of consistency you know you, as I said you get your match fitness and then the rest falls into place it's, it's hard to get once you're only in and out yeah. every every second week like you kind of had a, a complete uh, role reversal. You, your younger career was a lot of injuries, and then pretty much yeah. working right and saying for the last five years of your career, you, you probably didn't get injured, did you? Yeah, I, I think I went for like seven years ago, not being available for a match. Yeah. No, I didn't get <laughs> picked every week, but I was available. You were available. Every week. Yeah, that's it. That, that, that contributed to the amount of games that I did get over the years. Like, as I said, I would have, I would only had relatively a low number of caps till I was 25 or 6. I'd say. I got the yeah. majority of mine and kind of 27 to 33 like so it was as I said I, I was just there I was last man standing a lot of time and I had to play I'm not like if there was others there I, I don't know what they've been picked but a lot of time I was last man standing and so there was no one else to play and I got my run again through that like and so I think you really get the, the chance to, to show people like what you can do when you do get those run of games mm, I agree I agree I think it's coaches as well I think it just gives them a Sometimes when they have no when they have no choice, they kind of like I like mean they have to put you in. That like it's just. I they, I also there there's two different approaches. One coach would be like, "Oh shit, everyone's injured, we're down to this fella," and then the other coach is like, "Who's it? He's injured. Next man in. Don't care who it is." And just the difference in the confidence that you get from those two approaches, like do you know what I mean. Like Murray, like obviously Murray was in my position, so when he got injured, I benefited from that a lot of time, but. Some coaches, you could see that they were panicking straight away. They were like, oh no, he's out. Like, this is going to be an absolute fucking mountain to climb here. Whereas 
another coach was like, yeah, I don't care who he is, he's out next man in and I, I've no doubt he'll do the job. And in his own mind, he mightn't have thought that I was up to it or whatever, but the fact that he gave me the confidence to think that Joe was just next man in and this, the quality wasn't going to change, it was just a difference that makes to to, to my own mentality and, the, and the, the way I approach the games and the performances, I think it was just massive. Mm, definitely agree with that, yeah. Just, um, I suppose, just finishing up, Crushed, um, kind of moving away from rugby, what kind of pursuits are you engage with at the moment or what do you, do you have any kind of long-term projects outside of rugby that you're involved in at the moment? You're always kind of um, one of the more interesting guys to spend time with when um, I was still gainfully employed by Munster and, and since as well, since I've come back to Ireland. So, um, pursuits, yeah, not a, what, what are you talking about, Dungy? Talk about university, you're talking about something different like along the lines that are... Whiskey. Just yeah, kind of what like what you keep yourself busy with outside of rugby, or kind of what what you see yourself uh, doing um, when rugby finishes up. Is there anything you've identified? Not a whole lot. I um I was in New York recently enough, and I, I met up with a few guys and just kind of chatted and around because I've I've getting twenty seven now. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think like okay, hope you play for as long as I can. But whenever that day comes, that I'm trying to want to make the seamless transition. For my for a while, I was kind of looking at university. Will I go back now and do a masters or? Well, I'll, I'll do the Enagle route. I might finish um, when I finish that year, use that year out, and uh, just go straight and do an MBA, try and do a high quality MBA in some university. So I'm kind of looking at different routes like that. And um, then I met a guy in, in, in New York, and he kind of um, he kind of advised me against the MBA. So you probably need more experience before you start going doing that. So yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just trying to like chat to different people, trying to find avenues where to go to next. Um, Marcus Horn's been good help now at the moment. To be fair. Um, uh, probably I thought, more I thought than, it'd be very good as well when I was finishing up in the last year as well. Yeah, he's great. Like everything you approach him with, it's just like I sent him a long email the last day about some of my interests around. Like I want to try and just looking at some like manage, management courses. Um, potentially to go back and do. And I know there's one in UL, but just you want when you enter something, you want to be able to make sure you can give it a good go as well because it's um, some of the university masters are quite heavy going. You know what I mean? And if they're full time as well and not part time or online, it can make it quite difficult. So he's just been looking at alternative options, and um, he's been a great help to be fair. So that's probably the next focus really is trying to get back into some sort of education um, and I'm probably looking at that right now while we have time and downtime and, and probably sc- sc- uh, scroll the internet quite a lot um, just trying to see do things match up but um, on a more of a relaxed note then there's been a lot of um, which Duncan Williams is not too happy to see a lot of barbecuing uh, Oh I'm right. I, I love seeing the barbecues but <laughs> yeah, a lot of barbecue, a bit of bacon, a bit of sourdough making, and um, that's been a bit of gardening. Uh, not Peter Man. Bread is all the age, isn't it? Bread is all the age, yeah. It's hard going, yeah, man. It's, it's, it's a science and an art. It's a science and an art. It's tough. I made some banana bread myself the other day. Did you, did you post oh, yeah. it on? Um, did you post it online? It doesn't really happen unless you post it online. Seemingly, I don't post those things online. I'm definitely going to get grief if I post banana bread online. <laughs> but banana, yeah. banana bread is actually. But I, I think I, I saw something recently. It's just like it's pretty much one of the. It's one of the bosses. Why literally, literally everyone in the country at this point is make banana bread and post it online. It was trying to get my son to eat because he's refused. He's on hunger strike at the moment with his second lockdown. And the new baby arriving, he seems to have taken umbrage to everything. So it was uh, okay. yeah, little did I realize now it was the amount of sugar that goes into banana bread. It wasn't a healthy one, like so. He just <laughs> himself. He didn't lick it off a stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, lads. I, um, I'd say that's enough. Um, JJ, thanks very much for joining us. Um, is productive and the very best of luck for the rest of the season if there is a rest of the season. And uh, Donk, good to see you and uh, nice to meet you. She's waving there too. See you, lads. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, 